Hi, my name is Akriti Desai from FemExec. Today, I'm sitting down with Kim Boone from Mental Chatter. Hi, yes, I'm so excited to be on. Thank you for having me. Um, so I have been a licensed clinical therapist for 19 years. Um, so in my clinic, we provide traditional therapeutic services, and I also provide coaching as well. So I do different types of coaching. I do mental health coaching in general, just to help people kind of get past like certain barriers that they're having, whether they're spiritual, emotional, mental, cultural, that are kind of keeping them stuck. Um, and then I also do coaching um, where I kind of take that and extend for women who are in corporate America or women who are wanting to be entrepreneurs and are trying to kind of scale up you know, their life, so to speak, and their business, but you got to get past that other stuff in order to do that. So I kind of combine the two for those who need that. Okay, wonderful. So how did you get into your industry? So I actually got into therapy because I feel like it was just my life's calling to do. Um, I kind of watched my family and um, coming from a very spiritual family and my grandfather was a pastor and I watched him and my mom and my grandmother kind of live this life of service, like just serving people on the street, homeless, mental illness, suffering from addiction. And I felt like I kind of just, the baton was passed to me some kind of way. And I just kind of just want to continue that legacy. And I got into coaching because I started to see this shift in my practice where people were seeking me out for therapy and they really didn't need traditional therapy. They just needed somebody to kind of help guide them along this life's journey and kind of put pieces together and not really dig deep with like these deep root seated issues. And that's how I kind of made that switch to start doing both. All right, amazing. So I know that you have a great focus on specifically patients with substance abuse. So mm -hmm. could you share a little bit more about um, the types of stories that you would get, how that has contributed to your calling, how that's made you continue to follow your passion of therapy. So I've always, in all of my years, no matter what sector I was working in, whether it was community mental health, whether it was private practice, inpatient psych, school, um, addiction always came up in some kind of way, whether it was the person I was working with directly, family member, parent, if it was a child. And it became like a nat natural progression for me to really start to like hone in on that and specialize that and make that a huge part of my work. Um, I also have worked in various settings. And even now, um, even though I have my business, I for it, I actually am heavily involved in an inpatient substance abuse facility that also provides partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient. I serve as a clinical director there. And so I see so many things and so many people who are struggling with addiction. And I think addiction is one of those things that people really don't get. You know, they think, oh, they can just stop drinking or, oh, while wow, they're using and, you know, they just make better choices. They won't do it. But it is a real disease. And people are struggling and battling with this every day. And it just takes so much, so many times, so many tries, so many relapses for many people to get it right. Mm -hmm. So was there any um, current patient interaction that you had with someone that had a history of substance abuse where you felt like it kind of motivated you to continue with this goodwill work that you're doing? Um, yes. So I have, so when I think about addiction in general, 
there are a lot of minorities who won't seek treatment for it. And it's because it's taboo in general to seek any type of treatment, um, especially when it comes to alcoholism, you know, because that's kind of normal, you know what I mean? Alcohol is, is legal and it's okay to have drinks when I come home. But I ran across this um, client that I had that really set this impression on me. He was an African-American male. He was in his mid to late fifties. And he was someone who never done any kind of drugs his whole entire life, got an injury off the job. He was a labor worker. And when this whole shift came with doctors being very careful about prescribing opioid medications and things like that, and people getting addicted and doctors started being afraid, his doctor cut him off cold turkey. And he had a hard time managing because of the pain from the injuries. And someone introduced him to heroin as a way to manage the pain. And I thought that that was just very intriguing to me that here's this man who spent his whole life in what we can call the straight and narrow, not doing any kind of drugs, not drinking, not anything, and an injury and because of a shift in society and the medical field and healthcare in general, pushed him in this direction that now he doesn't even know what to do with his life. You know, and he talked about how I hid it from my family for so long and we were a family that took vacations. We no longer were flying. I had to drive so I could make sure I had my heroin with me in the car because I couldn't sneak on the plane. And I started shifting and changing my lifestyle in a way I never did on the second phase of my life. And that was a like wake up call for me because we think about so many people who have been addicted for so many years and started so many young, you know, started so young in their environment, their communities. And this was a man who's working every day and an injury pushed him, you know, to this. Mm -hmm. And that made me just start to look at it differently, approach things differently, really start to listen to the patients that were coming in and try to really hear their story to see how this started for them because everybody's journey was different. So that was an incredible story that you shared. Thank you so much for sharing that. But I think something else that I'd wanted, I wanted to touch on, which you touched on before, was the stigma about getting help. And I, that's something that your business relies on, on people realizing that they need that help and to reaching out to you. So mm -hmm. how, have, how has that that stigma around getting mental health services shifted since you've been in the business of that. Have, have you seen a shift in that? Have you seen any improvement, progression? And like, what have you done to ease that stigma to help benefit your business and also help others? So yes, I have seen a shift. I've seen um, a shift in the fact that people now are recognizing that these emotions and the things that I'm feeling that I can't manage there's coming from somewhere and somebody has to help me. And so even when, though I think a lot of people are not, excuse me, are not completely honest or don't know how to really, I guess, recognize or acknowledge what it is they're feeling. They know they're feeling something and people are now starting to reach out for help to say, hey, help me figure out what this is. Now I can say that there is this um, slower shift I think in certain communities where it's still not there. And I think what has happened in particular for me is I've been able to use faith-based communities to help get the word out. Mm -hmm. 
And so if I can go to churches or, you know, and talk to pastors, preachers, priests, or whoever, you know, and if they can understand the importance of it and then talk to their parishioners, the parishioners are going to buy into what the leader, you know, is buying into. And so I've been able to see a shift in my community in particular by me partnering with churches and pastors and leaders and saying, hey, this is needed. Yes, there's a spiritual component. You're going to pray, you know, and do those things, go to church, whatever it is, meditate, whatever it is that you do. But there's a mental health side of this that needs to be addressed by someone else. And so the message that I've been using is if you go to your doctor and your doctor says that you have diabetes, you're going to do everything that the doctor says to treat that diabetes to get yourself, you know, well. If you're not feeling well and you like something's going on, you go to the doctor, your doctor say, you know, you have hypertension. You're going to change your eating habits. You're going to do what it takes. And so your body emotionally sends those same signals. And so if something is off and you're not feeling well, seek the professional and follow the guidelines. It's the same thing. And so I use that all the time to help kind of let them see, oh, I guess it is okay. I guess it is a real thing. You know, if you look at the word disease, it's too, you know, it's dis-ease. So my body is at dis-ease. Something is happening. Something is not functioning properly. So let me do what it takes, you know, to make myself whole again. And that's kind of the message that I've used to help reduce that stigma. Do we have a long way to go? Yes, we do. But I think that's part of the way that I'm doing it, normalizing it as much as I can. And I even did like on a, um, recently on one of my podcasts, just even saying like, hey, Therapy is your friend. Therapy is a friendly word. It's not the enemy. You know, therapists, we're here to help you. So that's the message I'm trying to, you know, send across. That's an incredible way of not only community outreach, but advertising your business in a way that people will be more inclined to reach out and seek help. Mm -hmm. So I know that um, your passion is therapy helping others and you were able to express that passion by starting your own business so was there anything that you didn't really expect to do while starting to run a business because you know you just want to do the passion side but that business side always comes in at the end of the day so was there anything in that sector where you were like I can't believe I have to do this now Yes. And I think for me, it's more of that marketing piece. Mm -hmm. I'm a speaker, you know, by nature. I like to talk. I like to teach, you know. And so I am not the, the savviest person when it comes to marketing and advertising and selling myself. So that's been the biggest piece, especially in this, this you know, new age where social media drives everything. And that's how you have to reach people. It doesn't matter what age you are right now, especially now with, you know, COVID-19, everybody's on social media. So for me, honing in on that marketing piece and really knowing how to use that to my advantage and not being so stuck and stubborn in the old way of doing it. And then also just those, um, those business things that you have to learn about just protecting your brand, you know, and even protecting your logo, trademarking, like all those things, those pieces, the accounting piece that it's like, yeah, I just want to get started. But it's like, no, in order to sustain, there are pieces that have to be put in place in order for you to keep functioning and to thrive as a business. So just honing in on those things and making sure that I'm setting goals, I'm talking to the right people, getting mentors, you know, people who've been doing this longer than I have, what worked, what hasn't worked, um, and being the student and not the teacher all the time. Right. 
And I know you also mentioned um, in your answer how uh, COVID-19 has shifted the world focus towards a lot more online social media based approach. And I know that your therapy business often relies a lot on that human interaction because yes. obviously you need that um, healthy conversation to promote change. So how has your business kind of shifted um, gears to uh, cope with the pandemic and like any like business changes, financial changes, anything that you can discuss that your business has had to adapt to while this pandemic is ongoing? So I think one of the main things, like you said, is not having that face-to-face -face interaction. But I, so I've been doing, of course, you know, tele, using telehealth um, as a way of speaking with people. But I've seen this shift in the right direction with COVID. It's almost like it was a blessing in disguise because it's making people more aware of their mental health and the need to address it. And so they're not as afraid anymore to jump out there and seek help. And I think doing this through, you know, um, these telehealth um, things. So I like, I use something that's called doxy.me. So it's, you know, all medical professionals use that. It's HIPAA compliant. It's like a Zoom, but it's just, you know, it has a HIPAA component to it. You know, I think that helps because if you're someone that's not comfortable and you're nervous about going into an office and see someone, being in your own home, talking to someone through your computer, through your phone, I think helps relax the person more. So I think Financially, there hasn't been, it's actually been a shift and an increase because I think it's caused more people to want to seek out help because people are feeling anxious. They don't know what's going on. People are feeling depressed. People are experiencing loneliness, grief and loss from people unfortunately passing suddenly from this disease. So it's making people want that support in a way that they wouldn't try to get it before because they, they can't get it from their loved ones. So I might as well talk to someone that I know can help me through this. That's incredible. Um, I know that a lot of people have been saying that currently at the front line because of the pandemic is all the medical healthcare workers, but a lot of other people have been saying once this pandemic passes, the real frontline workers are going to be the mental health therapists, mm -hmm. people dealing with those losses. Um, so would you say your business is preparing for that kind of shift towards you guys being the frontline um, frontline, I guess, for those people that need the, your help? And um, what would you be doing in order to expand your services, help as many people as possible, things like that? Yes, I definitely agree with that. And that is going to be the shift. And because there, you know, when this is over right now, there's so many people that are operating kind of like robots. They don't right. have time to think about it because they have to just be on it all the time and just have this system in place to make sure they're safe, taking care of the patients every single day. And when this is over, and the dust settles, that's when it's gonna hit a lot of people who is not hitting right now. And they're gonna need that support to help talk about, you know, deal with, because this is traumatic. People are experiencing trauma right now in this, especially those frontline workers. So for me, one of the ways that I'm gonna help, you know, expand and address this is I'm not gonna do away with telehealth. I'm gonna to continue to do teletherapy so that I can reach more people, um, 
I have also made sure I've gotten licensing in other states, you know, during this time, taking advantage of that so that I can be more open because people are going to be booked. People are going to be feeling going to turn people away. And so the more of us that can prepare now and continue to provide teletherapy, I think that will help us be able to really um, address the influx of, you know, patients that we're going to have, especially those frontline workers. Right. And I know that you've done a lot with your business to expand it as much as possible. You have your own therapy practice, but you also have a podcast. Um, could you elaborate on your podcast and anything else that you've done to branch out from not just the traditional clinical therapy? Yeah, so my podcast, I'm really excited about it. I re I just started in January, but it's actually doing every, you know very well, and I upload a new podcast every week. So on there, I talk about everything dealing with mental, emotional, spiritual, wholeness, wellness, um, and so it's not just strictly clinical but I kind of addressed what I feel like is needed in that moment and what's happening in real time. So I may talk about depression one day. I may talk about real clinical techniques to help you deal with anxiety. I may just get on there and just have general conversations just about how people are, you know, feeling. I've talked about relationships. So I make it, um, where I encompass kind of everything so people don't feel like they're on, I'm only addressing mental health. You feel like if you go on there, you can get everything that you need and I'm going to say something that's going to address some area of your life. And so the podcast is called Mental Chatter, just like my business. Um, and it's actually on all major podcast outlets. So people can find me on everywhere. Apple, Spotify, Overcast, iHeartRadio, you name it, I am on it. Perfect. We'll make sure to shout that out in the posting. Thank you. Um, and uh, another question that I wanted to ask, how old were you or like how long ago did you start your therapy practice? So it's, this is kind of twofold. So I initially started private practice in 2012. Mm -hmm. And at that time, because I was always working, I was, I've always been able to put myself in a position where I can kind of work up and climb up the corporate ladder. And so as a result, I wanted to continue to do that so I continue to gain all these different experiences, especially from a business perspective and from a leadership perspective. And so when I got to this point where I was constantly making these moves of climbing up, I had to make a decision. And so at that point, I chose to let the practice go so that I can um, really focus on what I was trying to learn and accomplish, you know, and kind of just add to myself and my skill set. And then when I got to the point where I felt like, okay, I pretty much, I think I've kind of learned everything that I can learn for the most part clinically. And I'm just kind of doing this for the business sense. That's when I reopened my practice up again. Um, and I started, you know, some years back, a few years ago, and I started just taking on little clients here and there until the demand became so great. And then people who I used to see before start realizing I was back in business again. It was like, hey, can you see me? Can you see my husband? Can you see my sister? Can you see my friend? And so the demand just became greater and greater. So I'm grateful for that. Um, and so it just pushed me to, well, I had to say, okay, this is now a thing again. So I got to figure out how to make this work. So that's great. So um, what would you have said to the Kim Boone that started your business in 2012 and also a couple of restarted it a couple years ago any advice that you've learned along the way that you wish you could tell her if you could go back 
The one in 2012, I would have told her to stick with it. I would have told her to not let it go because you can do both. And I think that I would have gotten to a place a lot faster and sooner um, as an entrepreneur if I would have stuck with it. Now, I would not have said let go of the nine to five because I needed to learn that business skill set because at the point where I was in positions where I was handling financials, I was setting the budgets and I was doing those things that I needed to learn from our practice where when starting off, I didn't know. So I would say stick with it so that you can do both simultaneously and then get to a point a lot sooner where you can let it go. And I think the me now, I would say to me what I'm saying now, that you got this and you can do this and the sky is the limit. I have let go of the fear. I've let go of other people's expectations. I've let go of not jumping out there. If I feel it and it makes sense, I'm going to do it and figure out how to happen. You know how to make it happen. So I'm going to keep telling myself, have faith, keep pushing, believe in yourself and keep going because only you can stop you and the sky is the limit. Oh, wonderful. And for my last question, you can address this, but just a little bit more broad approach. Um, what advice do you have for the future female business owners that are listening to you? I tell, I would tell them to, first of all, believe in yourself. And like I just said, and have faith and don't let other people stop you. You are the one that have dreamed that dream. Other people, I don't care how close they are to you, it's not their calling. So they won't be able to get it. They won't be able to understand it. Don't let people's um, ignorance or lack of knowledge stop you from doing what you know that you're called to do. Secondly, I would say, make sure that you have a mentor. There's someone who's been where you're trying to go. Don't, you don't know it all. Don't be afraid to make mistakes and don't be afraid to seek help so that you have someone that's coaching you and helping you and guiding you along the way. The third thing I will say is to be smart about your investments and also recognize too that you have to invest in yourself. And that's one thing that I had to learn. I used to be like, well, I don't want to pay for this. And I don't want to do that. But you have to invest and put money into you and your business to get it back. And the more stingy you are with yourself, the more you're going to realize that where you want to go is going nowhere fast. So you must invest in yourself. And you, but you have to also be smart with the investments that you make along the way. All right. Thank you so much for this interview. Um, can our listeners reach you and your um, clinic? So they can reach me on my website at www.mentalchatter.com. You can also reach me on Instagram at mental underscore chatter. And I also have a business Facebook page that is mental chatter 219. So you can reach me in any of those areas. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.